0: Welcome to the Meaning of Home podcast, where we discuss the complexities and connections between home and homelessness. I'm your host, Sarah Christou, and as always, with me is the podcast's producer, Dave Angel. We are doctoral researchers at Loughborough University, part of the Harnessing Opportunities for Meaningful Environments Center for Doctoral Training. For short, the HOME CDT. We are a cohort of seven PhD projects approaching concepts of home and homelessness through a creative lens to develop impactful new research. Every month, we'll bring a new episode with a range of guests to provide commentary and conversation on different themes. In this episode, our theme is resilience, where we'll be discussing how the concept of resilience is used, what it means and unpacking whether this is inherently problematic. Today, the podcast's very own co-producer, Dave Angel, is one of our guests. Plus, we are joined by George Foden, also a doctoral researcher at Loughborough University. Dave's research at Loughborough is part of the Home CDT, focusing on people's experiences of reconstructing a sense of home following flooding to their property. He has had a varied career path, having been a professional musician, lecturer, school teacher and community arts worker. In recent years, he has developed and coordinated a wide range of community-based projects in South Yorkshire, focusing on oral history and community engagement. He has an MA in local history from Sheffield Hallam University. His dissertation was an in-depth oral history study of the Women Against Pit Closures movement. George is a doctoral researcher in the Geography and Environment Department at Loughborough University. He holds an MA in Conflict, Security and Development from the University of Sussex. Prior to starting his research at Loughborough, George was the humanitarian program lead at BRE Trust, where he focused on developing partnerships to support humanitarian shelter and settlement action in post-disaster contexts. He is a trustee of the Kanji Project, a charity that supports education and poverty alleviation in rural Tamil Nadu, India. His PhD research focuses on the links between humanitarian shelter and settlement action with long-term community resilience resilience is a somewhat recent term but one with multiple meanings and uses. Resilience may be used as a tool to characterise a structure or a community. It could be part of a complex system as a process of being resilient. George, can you tell us more about your research and how it connects to the concept of resilience?
1: Yeah, sure. Thank you very much um, for having me. And So my um, PhD research is looking at post-disaster reconstruction um, of housing, and I'm particularly looking at it through the lens of the global humanitarian shelter and settlement sector. So I'm focused on what's called shelter action, um, which you might think of of the delivery of of emergency tents that you might see in refugee camps all the way up to, to housing reconstruction processes which humanitarian organisations like the Red Cross and others are involved with. My specific focus is on how communities respond to disasters in terms of the reconstruction of their housing, and how, when these humanitarian organisations become involved with that reconstruction process, how that influences those inbuilt, what you might call, resilience mechanisms in communities. So people respond to disaster themselves and humanitarian organisations get involved to support that process um, and do so to better or worse extents, depending on on the context. As a bit of background, I I came to this um, through my role as the programme lead of a a sustainability framework called QSAND, which was developed by uh, the International Federation of Red Cross and Red Crescent Societies and BRE Trust, where I used to work. They developed this framework which is a decision making tool that humanitarian organizations can use to make decisions in shelter response activities that will hopefully have positive long-term impacts on the resilience and sustainability of the communities that they're trying to help and so i've been sort of using the term sustainability and resilience quite a bit here and they mean a lot of different things to different people so part of the question of this research is establishing exactly what practitioners mean when they use that, that terminology and whether that is suitable for the action that they're engaging in so i'm 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 interested in the way that the the shelter actors shelter practitioners can do their work in a way that supports communities in their own response and recovery after disaster and that's sort of broadly broadly what my research is
0: thank you george And um, over to you, Dave, how is how is your research connected to resilience and can you tell us a bit more about
2: the background to what it is you're looking at? Thanks, Sarah. Yeah, well, my research is, as you already know, part of a larger project called the Home CDT, of which you are a key figure, um, which is seven PhD students looking at various aspects of home. Uh, My research is what I call a local study looking at um, post-flood experiences in South Yorkshire in in the UK which is actually the town where I'm from originally where I used to live and I'm looking at people's experiences of reconstructing a sense of home after the flooding to what extent does the home lose its value as a home do people move out what experiences do people have with the wider community, with the state, with the environment agency and so on. And on top of that, I'm looking at um, two different sites as a comparative study. So I'm using a framework of home or two frameworks of home that break home down into many different concepts, such as individuality, communality, private, public, and so on. And one of the sort of underlying themes throughout this is the concept of um, resilience rather like the concept of place and space uh, and how resilient people are and the factors that dictate this as well Uh, and i'm also looking at that in the context of government publications for example that um, talk a lot about resilience and looking how people on in uh, in the field on the actual ground how they actually perceive this as a concept do they think about this at all or is, is there something beyond their their normal conversation uh, because they've got other things to think about so it's it's a it's a holistic picture I would say from the building to the personal to the societal against the backdrop of many many concepts one of which is resilience.
0: So it sounds as though also that both of your areas of research whilst looking at quite different subject matters, they're both situated in real-world environments. They're in communities, they're with practitioners, and what seems to kind of maybe tie both of your research together, other than what we're talking about today, is this way in which people live. It's homemaking, it's shelters, um, but also moments of change in people's lives as well um in the whether it's a disaster that they face or a particularly like challenging geography or environment that they're in um george coming back to you could you expand perhaps a bit more on what else there is in terms of academic research around this term of resilience
1: yeah sure yeah i think in the academic literature the 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 short answer is there's a lot of it <laughs> um and there's a lot of it that in a lot of cases is sometimes you know providing very different views of what resilience means in different contexts um so my research is predominantly focused in sort of the area of disaster studies and disaster risk reduction and also very much in terms of the humanitarian and development um space and even in in an area like disaster studies, where there's sort of a, uh, it's a relatively small area of research, you have many different definitions of resilience and many different ways that people talk about resilience um, in the academic literature. I think one, one of the main things that is of interest to me, and this kind of straddles the line between academic and practical, I guess, discussion of resilience is is an idea of resilience humanitarianism which uh, was defined by um, Dorothea uh, Hillhorst in the paper in 2018, where she talks about this shift in the humanitarian sector away from what might be considered the the traditional form of providing humanitarian aid, which is principled aid based on need, the kind of the delivery of, in in the case of shelter, which I'm looking at, this idea of you're delivering a shelter to people in need. and that might take the form of, of a kind of uh, emergency shelter that you can provide as, as a, a tool that people can use to, to make sure they've got a roof over their head in, in, in a humanitarian context and in a lot of ways the humanitarian sector has moved away from that to what she refers to as resilience humanitarianism which steps away from the idea that we're there to provide something to people but rather that we're there to support people in their own recovery journey by building on local capacities, by providing supporting input to to existing mechanisms of resilience and recovery that exist in communities anyway. And so that's quite a, I think, positive view of resilience as a way of framing humanitarian activity. But then on the flip side, and and we'll probably get into this a bit later on, but there's kind of a a dark side to resilience, depending on who is using that term and how they're applying it in different contexts.
0: And also perhaps the fact that we might see resilience kind of um coming up in lots of different academic fields as well human geography, engineering, sociology, architecture, urban studies, economics and politics as well. Um, in that regard uh Dave, where else are we finding people talking about resilience and 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 what kind of other areas of academic research have you seen and focused
2: on as well in your literature review? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I'll echo what George says. It's such a massive term um, that it's tr- it's multidisciplinary. Um, you know, it's, it look, gets looked at some, from so many different disciplines uh, in so many different ways that it, uh, it can be quite mind boggling in a way, a bit like the concept of home that we're looking at. I think it sort of parallels that in its complexity. I mean, the literature I look at, I would say that there's a, a lot of debates, academic debates about what resilience is, uh, creating frameworks for measuring it, creating frameworks for applying it, then debating their applicability and so on. I tend to focus a bit, a bit more like George says, on, on the sort of more ground level stuff, where it talks about the resilience coming from the people themselves. And my sort of favourite author, in a sense, is um, Lucy Easthope, who's um, a very well known disaster specialist, and, and she's written, she wrote a book very close. To where I'm working now, actually, um, about Tollbar, really looking at how the how resilience is there is always there uh, in people. I mean, it, it's inherent within people. That's I think that's something that needs needs to be clear really that um, resilience is part of life. I mean, we we, we don't just go on on a, on a plane all the way through. We, we're constantly dealing with challenges and different things, and often people in communities that you might not expect, which is prejudgmental, um, are incredibly resilient and resourceful.
0: And I think, Dave, that reflects a word that George was using alongside resilience. He was saying resilience and, and that word was recovery. And so I think the two kind of go quite well together when when you're thinking about, well, what is, what is resilience? Well, it's recovering from something that has happened to you, to your community, to your home, Um, to the environment that you live in as well. And as a relative concept, um, you're talking about resilience has diversity in applicability, intersecting with different contexts, geographies, politics. With such a myriad of uses, a question may be how can we meaningfully discuss resilience? Perhaps instead of asking what resilience is, we should ask how is the term used? George, with that in mind, how then is the word resilience used in, say, contexts of structures, systems and societies?
1: More often than not, resilience is a term that's used by an external actor talking about someone else. And that's when it can become it can become problematic. It, it, It doesn't have to, but it but it it's those kind of contexts where. If an external organisation or actor such as a, a government or a humanitarian organisation views uh, a group of people as resilient to a, to a disaster, as you were saying, that they have a capacity to respond to something, whether that be a, a cyclone or an earthquake or flooding, it may be the case that that's kind of absolving responsibility from from these these overarching institutions or organisations that should be helping people. It might be the case of saying, oh, well, they're a resilient community there, so we don't have to worry about them as much as maybe they they should be providing that support. Two
2: things, exactly like George said, I think people use it as a, a term to um, almost pacify sometimes, um, which is quite common. In fact, I've been scanning politicians' speeches for use of the term uh, and seeing the context that they use it in. It often pops up as almost as a pacifier, really, um, to describe people. It's rather like the term disaster. Most of the people that I interview or work with don't use the terms resilience or disaster. So it's sort of weighted towards academia and the state, which is, you know, is to be expected. But uh, I found that very interesting.
0: As though resilience is tied up with privilege then. So declaring people or community as resilient is a deflection of power, essentially. And then I think, Dave, there's an interesting point there with regards to whether people adopt categorizations and labels themselves or if we're talking about resilience as seemingly something that's always used by the external on another um, and then it becomes an othering as well as to whether people would identify uh, would they say oh I am resilient that sort of seems to contradict this the very idea of what they're talking about there yes Dave
2: Yes, and it does also get used in economic terms quite a bit as well, usually in, in tough economic times as well, almost as a way of saying, yes, it's going to be tough, but you're you're up to it, which um, uh, is, it slightly grates with me when I hear it, every time I hear a p- politician say the word, it's a, a very strange one.
0: And kind of tr- coming back to perhaps the core of this podcast then in terms of the meaning of home, how then um, do concepts of resilience intersect with notions of home?
2: Yeah, that's a good question, Sarah. I I mean, I think it's to do with continuity, really, um, maintaining continuity, um, because home needs security and continuity. So I think that resilience comes to the fore or its function is to help people maintain that continuity uh, and you will find that even in very dire circumstances almost invariably people are resilient and they don't they don't just give up I mean that, that the, the human race wouldn't survive if that was the case so I think it's a key factor and a key motivator in people uh, in maintaining a home amongst many others but I would uh, say so that's where, where it lies really
0: it sounds there though that perhaps continuity could also be about maintaining status quo if if we were talking before about resilience being a pacifier then perhaps also it resilience is not about improving things for people or communities but just kind of getting it back to the norm and in that regard george could you talk a bit about the differences and similarities then between resilience and vulnerability.
1: Yeah, sure. I think um, yeah, it, it's kind of it's a really key point to 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 think about. And I think to kind of build on on what what Dave was saying there about whether people refer to themselves as resilient often, that doesn't seem to be the case. I think that resilience is is something that People have um, communities have when a disaster hits. Um, if if people are affected by, again, a, a cyclone, flooding, an earthquake, they will respond and, and find a way to to kind of adapt to what's going on around them. And I'm I'm doing my my interviews with with shelter practitioners at the moment, and as one of them put it to me, humanitarians like to think that we're going turning up somewhere to save lives but if people were to lose their home and to lose their livelihoods and to lose everything and then sit around twiddling their thumbs waiting for us to show up they would they would die so what in in actual fact those people people are responding to things that have that have taken place and that resilience is an inbuilt characteristic of 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 everyone in, in in different contexts and i think that that's something that we as academics try to define in different ways but it's just a a, a thing that's there and a, a a characteristic of people vulnerability is often seen as the flip side of resilience and and i think in maybe in in sort of just everyday usage people might consider vul- someone who's vulnerable to be the opposite of someone who's resilient and i think actually it's it's more complicated than that because you can be vulnerable to a specific threat or hazard for a variety of reasons. Often those reasons are structural. I, I think a kind of a key example for that is if you look at kind of an earthquake that hits a country like, like Haiti in 2010, you have this, this earthquake that destroys huge parts of cities and the country was very vulnerable to that happening to it. But, but the, the same year, you have earthquakes of a similar magnitude in other parts of the world, hitting countries like Japan or Chile, and the death toll is much lower. The number of people displaced is much lower because the, stat, the building code standards, the uh, capacity of local people to be able to build homes to a certain standard means that they were less vulnerable to to that specific threat and so you have to explore kind of what happens in the build-up to a disaster and often it's political decisions societal and structural issues that are underlying that lead to vulnerabilities and that vulnerability is not a reflection on the individual who's been affected level of resilience i think uh, my my uh, way of framing resilience would be it's something that everybody has and you can be very, very resilient, but still be vulnerable to certain hazards and threats and things that might affect your life because of the context that you find yourself in. And um, so I think it, it's important to make that distinction between those two, two concepts.
0: So in that case, to describe a person or a community as resilient is to apply a characteristic that may suggest they need to suffer through their hardship as a means of um, avoiding addressing root causes and dismantling systemic inequalities, in which case when we talk about vulnerability and resilience, um, people and communities can be both vulnerable and resilient at the same time because they are marginalised in which case is someone resilient only because they have no choice Dave what are your thoughts on that
2: I agree people with you and George the two aren't exclusive you can be vulnerable and resilient at the same time without a doubt Uh, and we have the term vulnerable people that gets used quite a lot again that's a slightly different context but um you would find that a lot of people that might be classed as vulnerable are incredibly resilient, quite amazingly so at times. So it's, uh, I think that sort of proves that you can be in both camps. And you also need to consider how would somebody be described as, to what degrees would they be described as resilient as well? Is somebody very resilient, slightly resilient, you know, just like you're, you know, you might be slightly happy or very happy. And is that a qualitative, something that's qualitative or can it be measured quantitatively? It's um, it is very complex. I I agree. I think the in terms of maintaining the status quo, really, resilience does imply that you are going to uh, maintain the status quo. And politically, um, that's quite contentious in in, in many instances. Is it to keep just to keep the status quo and keep keep the country or the state functioning as it is? Is it it to avoid fermenting sort of revolutionary ideas or radical political ideas? it's certainly a, a complex issue
0: and in that regard then Dave kind of unravelling that a bit more how then is resilience connected to this term that comes out in the literature of
2: being an essentially contested concept well I first started looking at home as a contested concept really that's when I first came across it because after the the sort of um Amazing array of different, contrasting definitions or lack lack of definitions, and I think it's it's when things are so complex and so difficult to describe, and there's basically an ongoing argument to pin them down and categorise them and uh, find out all the constituent parts, where you're sort of endlessly um, chasing something that is a impossible and b maybe a bit pointless in in a way. Um, so. I've been considering home and resilience as uh, essentially contested concepts where it's more important to draw up your own view of it or your own framework of it to guide what to your own research and your own thoughts rather than to just try endlessly to come up with a specific definition because I, I don't think you ever will. I think George is on the same lines with that.
1: Yeah I completely agree it's um, it, it's something that that is almost not worth drilling down into the the various different definitions that you may have i think just just from my own perspective of trying to to sort of figure out what resilience means in the context in which i'm i'm looking at it in in the kind of humanitarian shelter and settlement response i tried to dig into that a little bit and explore a bit more the way that it was being utilized by humanitarian organizations and actually wrote a uh, paper about this in, in the Sentio journal um, called What What Makes a House Resilient in, in Shelter and Settlement Programming. And I think that any definition of a concept as large as resilience or a concept as large as home requires you to focus in on what you mean by, by a specific framing and, and through that specific lens. Um, and in that paper, I kind of tried to, to d- divide between what I called hard resilience, which is what in engineering terms might be viewed more like resistance. It's but sort of crudely, if, if a building is hit by an earthquake, will it collapse or will it be standing up afterwards? Uh, and soft resilience, which is a much more wide ranging, holistic view of resilience as, as a kind of example of, if you're building in a an area that's subject to cyclones and you want to build a cyclone resilient house, you might be building something that's very strong uh, with big concrete walls that's not going to fall down when it's hit by strong winds. But that same house in that same location for the other half of the year, when it's not cyclone season and when there's not a a storm bearing down on it, often is unlivable because a big concrete house in the middle of a, a tropical country is too hot in summer, too cold in winter you know, there's very little ventilation in in a kind of concrete building. So indoor air quality suffers and people who are cooking inside may have health issues emerge from that. And so there's all this kind of wider hazards that are affecting the house and wider things that are, are affecting people, which need to be considered as well. So that soft resilience kind of goes that step further. And I think particularly in, in the, the the shelter sector and the way the humanitarian sector tries to address problems, that's sort of where most practitioners are at now, is how do we think about not just responding to the, the flood, the earthquake, the cyclone, but the everyday lives of the people that live in that structure? And what is it that they need that building to be resilient to in order to live their lives um, as successfully as possible. So it's much easier to define what a word means when you're being very, very specific. But I'm talking about humanitarian shelter response. And I don't think that those definitions are applicable necessarily in any other sort of view of of, of either academic literature or practice. So You need to come to your own kind of decisions about what you mean by those words and then be very upfront about that in in any conversation to make sure that people are on the same page.
0: And George, as your research includes working with humanitarian practitioners, is there a movement away then from using this idea of resilience or is it being framed differently? Um, Is there any work? Perhaps that's being done to draw on, say, post-colonial indigenous knowledge, uh, that may not want to kind of use this idea of resilience.
1: Yeah, that's a really good question, and and that was at, at the end of the 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 paper that I was talking about. There, that's kind of one of the things that I touched on, which is, I think that terminology of resilience is still very much used in the sector, and the sector is still very much operating in in a, quite a, well, a very kind of colonial uh, framing in terms of, you know, where funding for projects comes from, where donor expectations come from, where the measurement and evaluation of projects comes from, is often very top down and looked at through the lens of what people in Geneva or New York are thinking, not what people in, in the, um, affected area are thinking. So in talking about making a shelter or a house more resilient, that's still falling into that same colonial framing. But increasingly, and and a lot of kind of people at the forefront of trying to adapt the way that they engage in humanitarian projects are very much looking at this it's part of what's called the localization agenda uh, which was brought into the humanitarian sector through the the grand bargain which was uh, an agreement from all of the main international NGOs non-government organizations coming together and saying how are we going to decolonize and modernize and improve the the practice that we engage with and Localization is the idea that responses are locally led, not just by the, the the country or the state that things are happening in, but by the communities themselves and the people that are going to be living in those houses.
0: George, if if we could move this idea of resilience on? How does it cross-cut as an issue in different areas of, of research? And what do you think is next for resilience?
1: Well, that's a that's a very good question. What's next for resilience? Um, I think resilience is whether known or unknown in terms of or, or explicitly stated or, or or not in terms of the way that people look at what they're doing particularly in in any kind of academia or practice that's looking at communities and the the way that people are interacting with the environment with um each other with 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 states with external organizations i think re, uh, resilience is something that's running through all of that and it's something that, that maybe people don't use that word, but that people are talking about and thinking about in that case. I guess from from my perspective um, as someone who's responsible for for the QSAN sustainability framework, which is is designed to, as I mentioned in the beginning, support humanitarian organizations who are making decisions about shelter response activities to try to the, the end goal of QSAN is to produce a sustainable community, sustainable in environmental terms, in economic terms, and in um, social terms, something that's sustainable, building on that kind of sustainability definition of being able to meet my needs without affecting the needs of future generations to be able to meet theirs. And in QSAND, resilience is viewed as a cross-cutting issue, that whether we're talking about You know, the materials used in the shelter construction, whether we're talking about the livelihood opportunities that we're putting in place, whether we're talking about water and sanitation or energy access or any of these things that shelter practitioners are thinking about and considering about in their in their activity, resilience of the solutions that we come up with, their capacity to withstand any future shocks is one of, if not the most important things to address in all of those individual components that add up to create, hopefully something that's sustainable. Whether we use the term resilience or not, that capacity to withstand what may happen in the future is the underpinning core issue of, of, of anything that we might be talking about.
0: Thank you, George. Yes, Dave, did you want to add on that?
2: Yeah, I agree entirely with what George just said there. Um, I think it's important to to realise that um, as a term, it's actually quite recent in in use. Um, you know, if it's uh, in in general in common parlance, it's you know, like probably the last hundred years or so. It's been used quite a lot, but not. I mean, it was used way back in antiquity, but as a term, it's fairly recent. And uh, in in academia, I'm sure George will know it's it is quite a, a recent term. So. Like you say, the future, Sarah, is um, begs the question of where you know where will that term go? Where will it be used in the future? Obviously, we can't say. Maybe it'll go out of fashion. That become something else. That becomes the optimum term for expressing it. I, I don't really know. But um, uh, I, and I also wanted to add the it's how it'll get used in terms of context of the environment in future as well. Uh, it's moving slightly away from our subject matter, but people's perception of the resilience of the environment. Um, is, is you know uh, something that's probably will change uh, and, and probably really does need to change because um, the environment is not ecologically it's not as resilient in the same way that people are as well so that's that's um, I think that's probably where it will probably still get used but reinterpreted I would hope.
0: We end every episode of the podcast with a recurring segment where I ask each guest the same question. What does home mean to you? Dave, what does home mean to you?
2: Something I've thought about quite a lot over the last few months. Home is where I feel safe, where I can be with my wife. It's where I can be myself. But at the same time, I know that the outside world is there and I have friends, friends, and family nearby uh, when I need them. Uh, it's where I can relax, be private and do exactly what I want. It's where I can create my own bit of the world and that I'm in control and it's where I can come and go but I can always come back to.
0: Thank you Dave. And finally George, what does home mean to you?
1: Yeah I, I struggled with uh, with this one a little bit because I think it, it, it changes depending on the context, but I feel very much that home is community. I similar to to as as Dave was saying, it's a feeling of belonging and a feeling of of being safe and secure. For me, I feel most at home when I'm with my family. Um so when I go back to visit visit my mum at the weekends and things like that, that feels like going home. For me, it's something that you build and you create with friends and family and people around you. Um, and the place is is much less important than than that feeling of community.
0: Thank you, George. Well, that brings us to the end of this episode. We would like to thank our guests, Dave Angel and George Foden, for joining us and sharing their thoughts. For more information about our work, please visit meaningofhome.uk. Follow us on Twitter at MeaningOfHomeLU. Remember to follow and share our podcast. And of course, thank you all for listening to... The Meaning of Home. This podcast was created by The Home CDT. It was hosted by Sara Christu, produced and edited by Dave Angel, and the music is by the Angel Brothers. All ideas expressed in this podcast are those of the individual. The Meaning of Home is brought to you by doctoral researchers at Loughborough University.